Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Queer Quadrant, a podcast where we, two bisexual filmmakers, examine cinema in all its cultural contexts and explore why your favorite four-quadrant blockbuster is maybe not as straight as you think it is. So... I said this to you offline, and I think I just need to reiterate it on mic. It's just that this movie couldn't get made today because millennials just have so many causes. You know what I mean? There's no rebels anymore without a cause. I'm glad you went for like the easiest easiest, bait possible. So Uh now it's out of the way and we never have to make that joke again. Yep. Yep. I mean, I guess it's better than a room reference. Right. Which is uh, what I was sort of bracing myself for. You're tearing me apart. Are you done? Okay, great. Any others I can get out of the way? Let's see. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, it's, that's about it. And now we're I can't have do a James Dean at all, so I will not even try. Episode. I mean, I don't even know you it's would just, do it. He's just it's like, not I'm quite cute. distinctive I'm enough. It's like quiet. I don't it's even. Very I don't even know. It's like sort of like, and I feel like it's a way you carry yourself. Oh yeah, it's, you know what I mean. It's not just like to voice. be so confident in your sexiness. It's the attitude. It is mm. a rebellious <laughs> attitude. One Brooke. could say. <laughs> yes. Huh? Uh huh. Uh-huh. Okay, great. Cool. Hi. Hi. Hello. I'm Brooke Solomon. Jordan Gustafson. And what are we doing? Uh, we love talking about cinema. We love talking about being queer. We love talking about queer cinema. Wow. Here we are talking oh about God. it on mic. Today, if it's not clear, we are talking about 1955's iconic Rebel Without a Cause. And joining us is the wonderful Drew Gregory, filmmaker and writer at Autostraddle. Drew, we are so lucky to have you here. Thank you. For I'm joining. so happy to be here and talking about James Dean, who, you know, I also don't know how to do an impression of him, but I right. think like the entirety of before coming out as a trans woman, I was doing an impression of him. Like he was <laughs> like, that's that's masculinity, that bisexual femboy. Yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that's what yes. we're all looking for. Were you wearing yeah. like a very cool red jacket? <laughs> I never got a red jacket, but I definitely like cycled through jackets that felt very important to me and my identity. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't think it's out of left field to say that James Dean is a lesbian style icon, particularly mm-hmm. in this movie. It's the jacket. It's the yeah. tight tee. It's the yeah. jeans. It's the, the coiffed hair. It's uh-huh. I, I feel it. I have you a know? question. Do you think James Dean is hot? Yes, I yes. do. I don't know what to tell Hot you. Hot take. Wait, okay, but I watched. I watched it with my girlfriend, and she was like, "I don't, I don't get it." And I was like, "What? What?" Like, it like gave me like a personality crisis, even <laughs> though I'm not trying to look like him anymore. I was like, "But, but, but he's so he's so hot." It's sort of like one of those things. It's like we've talked about this with Marilyn Monroe, where it's like someone is just so ridiculously hot. You're just like, yeah, like, duh. Like, this is just a known fact. It's not up for debate. Like, this is the hottest person alive. Yes. But then when someone questions it, it like Wait, kind of that like shakes my world. James Dean is so beautiful. I, I'm wondering. So it was her first time seeing the movie. And I mm. wonder if like when I watched it as a kid and then a teenager and now I'm carrying that nostalgia with me. Like he, I mean, they're all like whiny teenagers, yes. like in a way that is the point. But I wonder if, like, when you're 31 watching it for the first time, if you're like, why is he stop? Like, get over yeah. yourself. Yes. Yes. I mean, that was definitely a feeling I had because I re I watched this in college and then rewatched it now. And the first time I watched it, I was like, I mean, classic good movie, a little melodramatic, like whatever. This time I like same thing though like i'm like you get that first once you get over that first hump of them complaining or whatever you're just like along for the ride it's just like pure vibes and energies and you're just picking up on everything like i cared less about like what they were saying than just like how they were saying it Mm -hmm. if that made sense just like the way that they were carrying themselves like 
through LA, I feel mm -hmm. like is what I fell in love with. Yeah, it's a very good vibes movie because Absolutely. if you think about the plot, it kind of makes no goddamn sense. But like, <laughs> you ever fall in love with a person <laughs> who kind of killed your boyfriend <laughs> that night? <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> Happens the best of us. It yeah. Does, yeah. Oh, I'm so interested to hear though how like this movie has affected you, Drew. How did you first get involved with it? How has your relationship with it changed? Because this is a fairly new watch for me. So. Yeah. I mean, okay. So there's a, there's a bit of like a a journey of 1950s cinema with method actors. So like on the waterfront was the first movie that. I don't know. I guess like I've always wanted to be a filmmaker, but there was something about watching on the waterfront when I was like, I don't want to like over exaggerate, but I definitely wasn't older than 10. Like I was, mm. it was like definitely like eight, nine, 10. Like I was young when I saw on the waterfront and I'm sure I didn't get a lot of it, but there was just something about it that like gripped me. And that led into like a real Eli Kazan phase and learning about method actors phase and like all of that, which led me to East of Eden. Mm -hmm. And then that got me to bro I mean that was like sort yeah. of how I watch it. I mean that's it's how the most one to us, one right yeah. like that's like how you discover movies you like watch something right. and you watch more from that director or that actor or totally. someone they said inspired them um so I watched Rebel Without a Cause for the first time at a very young age and yeah I just like the what I now view as very queer but that kind of masculinity just like mm made so much sense to me because it was so performative mm -hmm. and that's Very. what I was doing was like I mean I wasn't as good as they are at like performing masculinity <laughs> in a cool way yeah. but I but I was trying to and I was like trying right. to like I was being like oh that's got it that's what a man is right yeah. then you're like yeah but they make out with each other like that <laughs> yes naturally in, retro in retrospect like I mean I yes. didn't like I didn't know that at the time that's what I was latching on to but I'm like oh Marlon Brando and James Dean are both like very performative in their masculinity and also are very just like gay in their lives. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, it's interesting too, because it's like, I feel like the masculinity within the movie is like on one, like James Dean himself is like looking for some sort of like guidance mm -hmm. on masculinity and mm -hmm. like, therefore is like kind of nebulous in it. And I feel like that's sort of what you're talking about is like this queerness is like, where you know are looking for ways to blend in but like when you have someone like that we're sort of inherently relating to him because he can't fit in mm -hmm. and therefore like we can't fit in and like it's an interesting sort of one-to-one -one there because it's like two people who are like unable to like fit into like the mainstream society and like what you know culture at large is like deemed like heteronormative yeah yeah, I also think that, like, sort of obviously, like, if pe even if people don't know anything about Rebel Without a Cause, they know it's, like, James Dean, and that was, like, the iconic look that inspired right. so many countless people. And I think it's... The drive jacket before the drive jacket. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. No. But I think, like, that layer of, like performance is so necessary to like the iconography i think mm. it's it's like essential because like you can't really be larger than life unless there's this element of like knowingness and like performativity mm. to mm -hmm. like the image that you're putting out so i you know i definitely think that like it makes the legacy of this movie and sort of like how it's been like reapproached and reappraised particularly by the queer community like very interesting not to mention all the business that was going on behind the scenes which we will be discussing yes. um yeah because so. i feel like james you know obviously he's like sort of viewed as like such a 
you know, men viewed as like men. a masculine idol. Uh, but he is yeah. like across, I think, the board. Like everyone sort of loves him because he has this very androgynous queer thing to him like it is hard to pin him down in terms of his like sexuality and his masculinity and i think that's inherently what makes him such a fascinating star is because like so many gay men you know everyone sort of like loved him and because he was sort of cagey with his sexuality like being bisexual Mm -hmm. it's like what sort of i think is so cool about him because he was in a time when like masculinity was like you know it was these greasers and you're like having the cigarette pack in your you know t-shirt or whatever and for him to sort of like weave in between these things is really cool and like that's what i feel like makes him such a star and like with Marilyn monroe again the same thing where you have like across the board people being like i love you yeah you know yeah I mean, there's an amazing quote from Joe Hyams, who was like an uh, a columnist, like a Hollywood biographer talking about James Dean. And he says that he was one of the rare stars who both men and women find sexy. And this quality is sort of like this undeniable, like extra something where you're projecting androgyny that makes you like more attractive to mm. the masses. Obviously not the case with Marilyn Monroe, but that's like a whole other, right. I think like sort of like interesting, like performativity of like, femininity and how like extra femininity makes you like or has the potential to make Mm. you like a gay icon it's very there's a lot of layers yeah (laughs) i mean i also think when you look at the sort of first generation of method actors and the sort of realism that they're bringing to these roles you feel like you know them i mean it's funny to say this to someone born in 1993 who when i was watching (laughs) Rome without a cause for the first time i'd certainly seen like a wide range of acting styles mostly geared towards like realistic I guess yeah um but I do think part of the like persona and legacy of James Dean is that people felt like they knew him because he feels so much more grounded in these three performances than a lot of the acting that they'd seen prior and then when he dies so young it's sort of just like preserved in this way yes totally I think in the way that he dies is what's like this film coming out after he dies the way that he dies is so like haunting it really like mm-hmm. covers this movie and like the way he like even in the script like talks about it it's like you know these people just driving so fast and racing and dying because of a driving accident it's just like oh my god yeah i mean i think that like it's gonna sound sort of morbid but like his early death is so crucial to like his icon status totally. because like you never could have lived up to like these three performances right. like all back to back all in a row without sort of like having to deal with like the man behind the performances in a real way and like Mm -hmm. for having his on-screen persona and sort of like what happened to him off screen be so closely tied together like that it just like you said drew it it preserves it immediately and you could never live up to that in the same way right so i think it's sort of like fortunately or unfortunately a very common uh, aspect of like real like icons is that like mm-hmm. you die young so that people don't have right. to like really deal with you as a person they mm-hmm. only have to deal with you as like this moment in time yeah. <laughs> like if james dean was on twitter now i'm sure there would be discourse. like a mess <laughs> i mean you even just get because we got decades with marlon brando like he just right. had time to get powerful and we got he got to do shitty things that we know about and it like you know i think depending on your relationship to art versus artists and all that like right. you either can still enjoy the performances or not but like James Dean gets to just be someone who all the stories about him he was 
not that young people can't be shitty, but he was like young and and new and just like in these Hollywood spaces for a very brief amount of time. And so you get these like fun little anecdotes of him basically just like fucking cool people and not like (laughs) (laughs) a lot of stuff of like what he would have been like as he became both older and older with power and fame. Yeah. I even think of someone who's like relatively, you know, harmless, like Leonardo DiCaprio, where Mm -hmm. it's like you think of like having potentially having like Leo's memory being preserved circa like 2003 is very Mm. different than like Leo's evolution as like an actor. He went out on like Titanic. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it's just I think there is something so sort of like tragically romantic that Hollywood loves about like, oh, they were so young and talented and like there's a sense of lost potential but then you also again don't have to deal with any of like what a person's life actually looks like when it goes on for like decades and decades but i think it's very very fitting for this movie because this movie is about how feeling like one day as a teenager is like your whole life yeah and it and at the same time like it it made especially this viewing i think because i'm watching it for the first time since i don't know i mean it's definitely been some time and I'm no longer attached to the idea of dying young. Like I don't want, I don't want to, like I'd love yeah. to, I'd love to live a long time. Whereas I think yeah. before transitioning and like as a teenager, I, I was so like, yeah, I'm going to die young too. So it did feel very romantic. Mm. Now I feel so sad. I'm like, he was so young and there's yeah. like, he's so talented and and so, you know, it's interesting because he's, his humanity has been separated like because of like all that we're talking about. But then he's so he's so human on screen, and it just like I, I like made me emotional this time. Yeah, I, totally. I think because maybe it was the first time watching it since being older than him mm. while watching it instead of younger. Yeah, I yeah. sort of a, feel similarly. Like mm-hmm. I found myself like really like the small moments are what kind of killed me. Like the little interplay that he would have with Plato. Like there's like a very there's such a tenderness there and a care that he has for you know, his friends and the people around him. And it is, you feel that loss of like innocence in life so much. And then like at the end when he's hugging his dad's legs, it's like really gutting like to see that and just to like know then what happens to him. It's really upsetting like to watch, especially as you get older, because you do sort of like, you can see, you know, in projecting onto him, like you see elements of like growing up as a teenager or as like a rambunctious adult, like, what you were doing and then recognizing that behavior, then knowing that he wasn't able to like go forward and like have a life carrying like tenderness or anything, et cetera. Yeah. It's a fucking sad movie. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It really is. I mean, he died when he was 24. Like, that's, yeah, yeah yeah and to think that like the other people that are in this movie with him are like even younger they are right. like 16 17 um it's so crazy i mean then even natalie wood if we're talking about like oh people God. dying young Listen, like, so also, many, the, all, three, right. all three of them Literally yeah two murders i meant yeah. Mm, one. yeah <laughs> two murders <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. and now i know at this point yeah no. <laughs> a slip but not really a Oops. Slip. Yeah. yeah Ooh, sorry yeah no seriously i think and again it all contributes to i think like the modern legacy of this film it's like the longer it goes on and the more people that like ended up dying tragically and like nicholas ray has a very like tragic life um so yeah everyone involved it's all in the fucking mess yeah yeah um and i think like as we briefly mentioned the behind the scenes was so crazy as well so 
we'll get into all I mean, of it. Yeah, we can dive in now. Yeah, I There's mean, so I much f- to discuss. Yeah, I feel like I know how you came to see this film. I had only seen snippets of it also in college, so this was like I think my first time like actually sitting oh, wow. down mm. and watching it through. It's I feel like it's difficult when you like if you haven't seen a film through, but you like know like the mm, little iconic the moments because you feel like you're piecing mm-hmm. together. Oh, this is where this is. Oh, that's where that is. So, but it's it's it was much less structured than I expected mm. it to be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not Very in a bad way, so. but yeah. I was like. Oh, this is really like this movie doesn't have a plot, but like I am here for it. But I was very surprised, especially because it like it got the adapted screenplay or original screenplay. No, adapted. Adapted. It's based on quote unquote based on a book. Right. Not based on it at all. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Crazy. Anyway. Yeah. Let's dive into it. I love it. Yes. I mean, if we want to like just keep going with James Dean, I think like just writing down quotes is the thing is like where James Dean was quoted is like saying, no, I'm not a homosexual, but I'm also not going to be able to go through life with one hand tied behind my back. Let's and talk then about Nicholas Ray also saying James it. Dean was not straight. He was not gay. He was bisexual. I mean, like if we just want to like say it, like I think it's kind of a known thing of James Dean being bi and yeah. like being an, a bi icon. And even though he never like in words said it, I think like relationships and his sexuality is sort of one of those most discussed things. And I think that really does play into this movie is seeing him as a bi icon. Like, the way he treats Plato and Natalie Wood's character, I'm blank on her name right now. Uh, Judy? Judy. Judy. Yes. Yeah. Jim, Judy, and Plato. There Too many. J- that was my only issue is like the James, Jamie, Jimmy. Judy, like all these J's and all the way that they were like spinning off of J's were like, you're either James, but you could also be nicknamed Jimmy. I'm like, no, stop this. <laughs> Enough. But anyways, yes. as I was saying, yeah. I mean, look, to sort of reveal our hand a little bit, I think a big reason why we initially put Rebel Without a Cause on our list is why we were like, well, we know that like James Dean bisexual icon. We know that this is sort of like the bisexual icon movie that he's like most known for. Right. Um, And then, you know, we've sort of been burned before and we go in learning about like like, okay, we think this this actor or like this person was very open about their sexuality and then find that it's been just like just Watch a bunch the of internet. rumors or mm. like very difficult. But like, I mean, listen, yeah. we can't say 100%, but there's a very, very, right. very good chance that James Dean was bisexual and that's right. great. Honestly, just like <laughs> how many straight actors do you know? Like it's just like, everything really? else aside. Like, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's why I like the like it was Tom Hardy, right? Who was like, I'm an actor. Of course, I fucked men. I was like, yes. That's thank yes. you. We that's love what to hear more it. people need to just say. Yes. Just yeah. Get it out there. Just be open about it. And it's like yeah. it's sort of weird that there's like certain types. Of, it's still like certain types of people that can get away with saying that kind of stuff. Like, mm-hmm. oh, right. Tom Hardy's a weird guy. Like Daniel Craig right. had something sort of similar to yeah. it recently. Right. Yeah. He just and like hangs out at gay bars. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> like, like sure. Okay. <laughs> I know. And so it's like you just sort of say this, and then it kind of like slowly trickles away and nobody really talks about it but i think that like yeah james dean got this sort of like weird posthumous recognition of being like oh my god like he liked men this is Mm. like so exciting um and was sort of in this like very interesting crop of like actors during this like heyday of 50s hollywood that were interested in other men but it was like Mm -hmm. very much scrubbed from the public eye for obvious reasons but yeah i mean we found a lot of different examples of like other actors being like oh yeah you know james dean and i would sort of experiment with our bisexual sides as you must um and you know sort of overall outside of like james dean in particular this was a very like incestuous film behind the scenes not only did director nicholas ray who was 
bisexual, sort of like open about it, sort of not, sort of seem to have some of his own issues with it. Yeah. I mean, like uh, you, we were talking a little bit off mic, Drew, but you like seem familiar with Nicholas Ray and mm-hmm. like love his work. And I feel like if you just watch In a Lonely Place and like just a lot of his stuff, it feels very semi-autobiographical in terms of like his struggles with like drugs and alcohol and like his own inner torment. And mm-hmm. I feel like you get the sense in this movie as well. We're just like a very conflicted, tortured soul, you know? But I mean, like, he makes fucking amazing movies. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of them either are as overtly queer as this in Johnny Guitar or right. just have this sort of like tortured male lead that feels vaguely gay, even if mm-hmm. they're not canonically. Yeah. Totally. I mean, yeah. I, that's also me saying that Rebel Without a Cause of Johnny Guitar are canonically gay, but they are, right? Like, they are. Yes. Yeah. Like, there's certain things where I think as queer people reflecting on the first like hundred years of movies, like I don't necessarily know if we need to give sort of the, um, I don't know, like asterisks that we do, because I think there's nothing you, we like, we can move away from like a heteronormative sort of approach of being like, well, here's all the evidence that this person is probably gay. It's like, no, we have, we even have the evidence. Like (laughs) they said it, (laughs) but I still, but I still do that too. And I think we're very much trained to, to like not, mislabel historical figures and it's like uh, uh, James Dean doesn't care like I think James Dean would be thrilled to to know how <laughs> gay everyone is like yes you know. oh god yeah yes no I mean that's something that we talk about so often like literally the whole point of the podcast is trying to be like can we like essentially justify that this film is queer or not but more importantly like how do you feel when we justify that a film that like you, you think you X, might have yeah. thought was straight we actually mm-hmm. like are putting a queer label on right obviously yeah. like the royal you you in right. general sure um, but like even you <laughs> i feel great about how it. do you feel about it <laughs> but like as you were saying like textually like this movie i think is like impossible to avoid as like a queer movie like i think it is like out and out queer like plato is so oh clearly so much into the cake as a gay character that it's like impossible to overlook like you can't watch this and be like oh plato yeah that like straight person who's obsessed and wants to like fuck james dean (laughs) no like he's gay he i mean sal minio has like had some really amazing again justification but like has had some amazing quotes about this movie where he was like i feel like i was the one of the first like gay teen characters to be like represented on screen but of course like that's why my character had to die like we all know what this is and like he was openly queer and like very much like was more open about it later in life and there's um you know references from production of james dean being like well like i think that plato should look at my character the way that like i'm looking at judy and i think that like i should look at him the same way like everyone Mm -hmm. knew that they were like making essentially a bisexual thruple movie but okay i want i probably i know some of it but i want to know all of like the research that you found as far as like the backstage drama okay. the tea. if there's anything that i can that i don't i know about some of it but i want to know what i've missed i'm gonna i'm gonna lay it out for you okay right. so first of all director nicholas ray and actor i think is it it's william hopper right? or no actor dennis hopper. dennis hopper both had affairs with 16 year old natalie wood during this production, honestly, ridiculous. Um, Nicholas Wright originally didn't even want to cast her because she he didn't think she was a rebellious enough teen. And then right. she got into a car crash, was in the hospital. He was 
there and um she like yelled to him literally like did you hear that like i was just called a juvenile delinquent like will you please fucking give me the role now and he did and then he had an affair with her so that was great um in my head i have just the dear officer krupke line where like juvenile delinquents when yeah. they're singing about that oh uh, i mean oh, this is classic. a movie all about yeah. juvenile delinquents it is the but knives and the chains i'm in not this... done yet sorry sorry i'm not done yet thank <laughs> you <laughs> you took out a switchblade <laughs> there's so much more yes okay nicholas ray also apparently had an affair with sal minio during this production and there was some it's not confirmed belief that he also had an affair with James Dean as they would practice privately in his trailer and at his house, which was apparently like a very safe space for a lot of actors for them to get method. Um, a lot of reading between the, <laughs> yeah, a lot of reading between the lines that can be done there. And I think that that's it. But I also think like sort of the weird um, but like just coincidence, not coincidence, but like weird coincidence that Nicholas Ray, James Dean, and Salmonio were all like by and sort of we're all hiding it at this time, but we're all also like kind very, of very like I think it's a very queer friendly yeah cast and yeah crew. yeah yeah, but that yeah. that they were all sort of like into each other and like not only aware of how that was playing out on screen, but were like exercising that off screen as well, mm-hmm. just. I think it makes a lot of sense that this movie is very melodramatic and very like over the top and that you have these sort of like weird dynamics that come baked Mm. in like Natalie Wood's character having like an implied incestuous relationship with her father and stuff like that where it's like fucking relationship. Oh my God. It's very dark. It's very intense, but it's like, and then you're like, yeah. And she was having an off screen affair with the 46 year old director who was older than her father. Like, yeah. It's all playing out in parallel. So I think those are the big highlights. There's honestly probably more, but those were the ones that we found. I don't know if you have any extras or I don't know. If yeah, you Drew, what are your... No, I didn't know about, I didn't know about Nicholas Ray and Salminio, um, which is, yeah. 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 I mean, I think like the thing, I think what goes to say about this movie is that like the MPA basically like sending Jack Warner a memo and being like questioning the relationship about Jim and Plato in this. And I think like that just kind of sums up for me, the queerness of it where like across the board, like everyone was kind of very aware of it at the time as well. Like it's not sort of something that like we're reading subtext into Mm -hmm. where it's something where it's like just so baked into the cake that it's kind of impossible to avoid. I just think that when you have a lot of queer creatives working on a film about like rebellious teenagers, you're going to have inherently like queer themes come out and like a whole, like, I mean, like as like queer people, like so much of that is like feeling rebellious and like not wanting to fit into society. And like, that's everything that this movie is dealing with. It's just about like not feeling like you have a place. And this movie is like, cool here, this is for you. And your peers don't understand you, which is like a a hallmark of being an angsty teen, but also like very real for being like ostracized or being a queer teen where you're like, there's something that like people just aren't getting. And I don't know how to get them to get it. I don't even know if I get it. Um, Yeah. So. Yeah. And like, there's a tension I think throughout the movie where, you know, stuff that would be read today as like homophobic to me reads as an expression of self-hatred or just sort of that turmoil in a way that I find really interesting. Yeah. Uh, and 
I mean, we don't have to get into this yet, but just like no, please, Jim, no, Jim's it. relationship yeah. with his dad and his dad's relationship yeah. with femininity and the like. It you know it, you can like read it so many different ways. There's like sort of this. James Dean has this like macho queerness to him, like sexual queerness, mm-hmm. and then you and then you can like have and then you have sort of like a trans femininity in his dad or just like some sort of like cross-dressing or cross I mean wearing an apron isn't inherently whatever but right. in the case of this in you know 1955 yes. like it yeah. feels very he's being feminized and that's something that Jim is so angry about and it's and to me I think the most interesting read is that it's like an expression of his own otherness and self-hatred and confusion um and feeling like if I had a male role model, I'd know what to do. And at the same time being like, knowing that's not really true. And it ending, I don't know, like the way that it ends with this vulnerable moment between Jim and his dad, mm-hmm. but then also you have his dad like sticking up to his mom for the first time. So the, so it's like interesting how the movie mm-hmm. both has these threads where you're like, and he learned how to be a man, but actually he he's still really, it's like really vulnerable between the two of them. So. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I think like a lot of queer movies from this time period, like it's not a one to one of reading of being like, oh, like these characters are gay and these ones aren't, and that's you know, whatever. It's like no, there's just it was made by queer people, and the queerness is throughout, and it's like a weirder exploration of all of these feelings. Yeah. Yes, I love what you said about like. Jim <laughs> looking for a male role model because like his end confrontation with Plato I feel like is sort of the need to realize that he like failed in a way as a male role model by like leaving Plato alone to go mac on <laughs> Natalie Wood in a bedroom and like then having to really quickly reconcile with that and obviously like failing because Plato gets shot like mm. it's very quickly yeah. yeah like heterosexuality brings out the violence like in the yes. sense that like yes. when when it literally cuts from Jim and Judy's kiss to Plato being attacked and it's as if it's like like uh, he abandoned his gay love story and it's like caused the like the death of this person he like it's so oh it's so good yeah. <laughs> even from the beginning if you want to like if we're just reading like the heterosexuality equals violence is you have uh Buzz, 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 mm-hmm. his masculinity and like his heterosexuality feeling threatened by James Dean, feeling the need to like overperform his masculinity mm-hmm. and like slash his tires and try to stab him and all this stuff. And mm-hmm. you're just like, you're being so performative. Like, what the fuck is this bullshit? And like, it just leads to violence it and his ultimate death dying. because he yeah. can't like cope with like any ounce of critique on his like masculinity and his like normalization of self. Yeah. yeah, and then Buzz and Jim feel so gay. Like they, like totally, it's, yes. like, like everyone. Yes. It's all like it's like the the. I mean, it's such a. I don't know. Like the 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 straighter you are, the gayer you are sometimes. Yes. And like, yep. uh huh. Listen, when they go and they like look out over the course, and he's like, "Oh, what's your name?" And you're like, "Y'all would have been fucking in like yeah, another like, are you two cruising? days, yeah. right?" Yeah. Like, come on. Listen, I have never in my life seen a heterosexual switchblade fight, and that's all I want to say. <laughs> that's a great point. <laughs> there, listen, there's something very intimate about the uh, totally. idea of that whole fight too, where it's like 
well, I can't really stab you, but I can nick you a little bit. Like uh-huh. we can, we can get there. We just can't go all the way, but like we can play with that. We can tease it out a little yeah. bit. I think like, even if you don't want to like put a sexual label on it, it's definitely something that like deals with intimacy. And mm-hmm. like, we need to be able to get close enough to each other to actually do this, mm-hmm. but not so much that we actually hurt each other, but like mm-hmm. inflicting violence in this intimate way. Totally. It's all there. There, It's a very textually rich movie even though like on the surface i feel like the whole time i was watching this i was like i can just imagine teenagers in 1955 absolutely losing their fucking minds seeing this in the cinema like it's so if i had seen this when i was 17 i probably would have been so unbearable it's like not even funny like i it's just it really i think a reason that it's so enduring is that it it so perfectly captures the melodrama of teenager dumb but in a way that if you watch when you're a teenager you're like yes wait this movie Mm. understands me like it was already bad enough when i saw breakfast club and i was like wait this movie is like my whole personality now and then five years later i was like what was (laughs) that about like the influence of this movie like can't be understated like look at any i mean from this to euphoria you could like write like a thesis about like the it's it's this absurd over the top like teenage angst that is not actually that representative i think of like a a realistic scenario even if these things are realistic to like 1955 suburbia the the speed at which they happen i mean as we've said the plot is nonsense and it's it's just whatever but yeah like that's that's how it feels to be a teenager and so like that I think that tradition has become like a major part of like adolescent media or media about adolescents yes. or adolescents. Yes. Um, yeah, it's I where just... you have to go through the most dramatic thing of your life one moment and then the next, like you're like at home and then you're going to school and then like you're falling in love with someone and it all feels like one day, but it's been like a long time. But like when you're a teenager falling in love and falling out of love feels so monumental and within like such a crunch period of time yes because you can get a crush and you feel like oh my god this is the love of my life and two days later you're like ah yeah that's what it feels like to be a fucking teen yeah that is it truly is also drew i just want to say i would absolutely read the rebel without a cause versus euphoria (laughs) essay if you want to write it just know i would read it um yeah i mean i think it's it's so true like melodrama is an essential element to like all good teen films absolutely it just you you have to be doing it with like a sense of love or it really like fails Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you as the creator you cannot look down upon it you cannot look at it with derision or but i also think you can't be like well we're gonna do an elevated version of it like we're gonna Mm. make it so that everyone can relate to it no you just have to like embody that that is what the teens are feeling because that's the only way that it comes across authentically um yeah yeah. i think it's a perfect movie for james dean to like go method in because Mm -hmm. like i mean the raw pain in his eyes and like all that good stuff that everyone has talked about for like decades it's right there it's so accessible and you need it it's also interesting when you compare his acting style with like the other acting styles in the movie and so there's this like clear generational divide between acting styles as well as um you know the general generational divide between their desires and their feelings and understandings uh and then i also think it's interesting though that natalie wood's performance feels definitely more classic that's what i was just gonna say yep and then and so then you get even though the love story is technically between jim and judy 
And then like the Jim and Plato love story is like sort of a B plot. It ends up feeling like the A plot because Salminio and James Dean are on such a more similar level of performance style. Yes. So it, it makes it feel like they understand each other. Whereas Judy's sort of like connected to the old world of their parents in mm-hmm. a way that's a little bit stronger. Totally. Completely. I also don't think necessarily the script is doing her any favors. I think no. it's so hilarious to me how she's supposed to be like the bad girl and how everyone was so worried that like <laughs> Natalie Wood was like this paragon of virtue and we were so concerned about her. Literally, at best, she is a passive bystander in this movie. The mm-hmm. most yeah. like she do- does get like a little <laughs> turned on by the violence though. Like you can always see in her eyes, she's like a little excited by yeah, it. Yeah, but like there's that's not. I mean, that's yeah. hey, kudos to her for actually doing that. But like if you look at like what's actually on the page, the right. craziest thing she does is literally smoke a cigarette. It's not her fault Whoa that her, her her lungs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not her fault that her dad like maybe sort of has a weird thing. <laughs> happening with her and um what is she i know originally she was supposed to be brought into the police station in the classic opening scene for like potentially soliciting sex but like that's not what it is in the final cut i think that was an mpaa or a haze code got it cut because the haze code was all over this fucking movie in the way that the mpaa was too mostly about the i was in the opening scene in drew just like off what you were saying it's so cool i think watching this movie and like the opening like first half of this film was really where you get the most of it is where you see those conflicting acting styles like in the police station you have like three different things happening and you're cutting between like plato james dean and natalie wood and then seeing them interacting with like different officers and different family members and everything and Mm -hmm. it's giving you like a flavor of hollywood at the time Mm -hmm. which is really cool and like as you were saying i think what works is like you are getting a generational divide and seeing like this heightened like 1940s sort of like theatricality versus like James Dean, very mumbled, very quiet performance. So then even like when he's doing his like ambulance sounds, which are amazing, (laughs) it's so, it like just feels so in like stark contrast from everything else sort of happening around him in the station. So like everything that he gives the performance like will just stand out whenever he's with adults because like they're all doing something so different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think like the conversation around method acting has obviously evolved into sort of a trash fire mm-hmm. <laughs> of stories, but like it, I, it must have been so electrifying at the time to see someone who like, you know, if you're a teenager, you're going to see this. You are sort of like a new version of a person that society has pretended like didn't exist. Like the 50s were when like the teenager became part of like the American vernacular and people were like, oh, this is actually a point of children's lives that exists. Like that is like distinct when they're feeling like all these different things. And like, to go to the cinema and see yourself represented in a way that feels completely different than anything you've seen on screen before by this incredibly beautiful man, like basically putting you through every range of emotion that you feel like you feel on a daily basis and have it be like something so brand new. I can't even imagine. Like I completely understand. I feel like in a very modern way, why this movie like took the world by storm totally yeah Yeah. even like if we're talking about like femininity i think it's like interesting looking at like natalie wood and as we like we're like talking about like her relationship with her father or whatever but like with her mom and like the way that she like 
when she goes home and like sort of tries to kind of mother her like little brother not like mother but like it's a very interesting like relationship she has there and i feel like the way that she's performing her femininity like is something like we're talking about like james dean a lot but like natalie wood's character while she just like doesn't really have a lot to do it is like sort of commenting on like the like stay at home be a good person like the classic sort of like idealistic like american daughter and like wanting to break free from that yes her like conflict in the movie she gets like written up for violating curfew so it's like and then it's sort of like to catch attention she starts like dressing more adult and like hanging out with the wrong crowd like for attention Mm -hmm. and so it's this idea of like wanting to break out from that very much like evolution from like good daughter into like stay-at-home mother that like she's caught in the middle of and then with play-doh they like play heterosexual like family when they're in the mansion and they're like pretending to like be shopping for a home and it's like such a play pretend family and at the same time they're making fun of like heteronormative like Mm. like relationships when in fact it is like this non like heteronormative couple and like family really thruple business Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah But he also, he doesn't have parents, like, within the structure of the film. Like, he, for all intents and purposes, like, his parents don't exist. Right. So he's, like, looking for, like... Two good parents. He's looking for parents. Yeah. Yeah. But then it's... it's, Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. It was interesting to think about the movie in the context, like, not only of teenagehood, but also of, like, suburbia and, like, the dark side of suburbia, which is so cliche now. But, like, at the time... Like, I know that you know, if you like compare this to the wild one and you have like this like distinction between juvenile delinquents who are, whose delinquency is explained by poverty versus this sort of like, you know, the title rebel without a cause of like the idea of just like being rebellious for the sake of rebelliousness, which I think is not actually what's happening because there's the queer side of it. There's the just like, you know, rebellious against capitalism from within instead of from outside that still is a cause per se um but it is interesting both in the sense that i think and i don't know if you can fully blame the summer without a cause but like the these stories generally now i think are more suburban and that becomes like the sort of mainstream narrative around like adolescence and you yeah. know when you especially in like tv shows yeah i don't know it's it's just like interesting to think about like what it what the movie reveals about this 1950s upper middle class middle class like ideal which certainly is deserving of critique and it's also interesting though that it happened within like right in the middle of the 50s like we think of the 50s as like as these things but even while it was happening there were these voices that were critiquing it from a queer lens and from you know these other lenses yeah Mm. i mean i think that like this is certainly like one of the most famous and one of the first films to be like suburbia is like where the shit happens like this is sort of like the deconstruction of the nuclear family like Mm -hmm. while it's being peddled to the masses at the exact Mm -hmm. same time and there's like all this amazing like 50s iconography like i love that shot of all the cars lined up when they're like Mm -hmm. about to do the drag race and when natalie wood is like headlights on and you just see like all these incredible like 
50s cars like the epitome of wealth like all the kids hanging out of them it's so like idyllic like mm-hmm. about to watch these two kids like race to their death yeah. Yeah. um so it's i i love how i don't know i don't know if i want to use the word audacious but i love how sort of like upfront it is about being like this is about like angst and about mm-hmm. how teens have problems and like you're cool suburban community is not as safe as you think it is but not necessarily in a like oh god lock the windows type of way in a way that it's like this is happening and like you should be aware of it because your kids are certainly aware of it right well and because the parents get blamed for a lot of it right like the so it it takes the it's not like a a blame coming from an outsider like it's not being like oh our suburbs are being attacked by like some made up threat it's like no your kids are acting out this way because they don't like you (laughs) yeah yeah and like specifically like you know i think like plato is the best example and that like by not having sort of like traditional parents it's led to him like acting out and how like they should be blamed for that even though they're not there because he doesn't right. have anybody else to turn to totally um it's a I critique of yeah. like wealth within that too which, which i like as you were saying even with the cars it's like wow it's like talking it's like quietly also not like quietly i guess like critiquing capitalism and like this middle class and like the way that they are sort of like able to like while they get caught and while the parents get blamed, they are sort of also then able to like walk out of jail. And they're also able to sort of get away with these things because Mm -hmm. of their wealth and privilege. And like Plato, they're obviously critiquing his parents because like you see how much like opulence and wealth that he has. Mm -hmm. But despite that wealth, he feels awful and like doesn't feel like he fits in. And like the way in which like this movie is like talking about wealth across the board for like upper middle class America is kind of nice to see, especially as we were saying, like at the time and everything. Yeah. Not to get too deep into it, but I was also like, you know, 1% of the credit, but I was I was pleasantly surprised with like how this movie dealt with cops where like the whole climax is about how like they the cops will just shoot. Yeah, and like <laughs> they they ignore everything that James Dean is telling yeah. them when he's clearly unarmed and like yes. clearly trying to help someone and like how Plato's death is like seen as nothing but a tragedy and like something that could have been prevented, but like, Oh God, the humanity, but that the cops are like part of like the reason that that like went poorly. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if we're just going to say too, what a fucking LA movie. I forgot how LA LA it is. Like I completely blanked at the whole fucking climax and that like 90% of this was like all building to fucking Griffith Park and like the observatory. I'm like, Uh oh my God, it's just all there, which I love to see, of course. But yeah. yeah, truly wild how heavy they lean into it being an L.A. movie. <laughs> yeah, a huge amount of it takes place yeah. in Griffith because it's not only the two like, you know, actual observatory scenes. Right. It's like the knife fight. It's right. like, like the mansion built up. Yeah. yeah, there's it's so much of it. Yeah. We'd and love to see it. the high school is Santa Monica High School. Mm. Um, yeah. They don't it's call it funny. That. I grew up like so close to LA, like an hour, hour and a half away from LA, but I had not been into Griffith before seeing the movie. So mm-hmm. it always, like I, whenever I see like it, it, the association is without a cause, even though it's its own like separate landmark. 
That's so funny. No, I mean, I think that like you're in the majority of like associating the landmark with this movie. Totally. Um, This was one of the times where I went on Letterboxd and I was like, oh, Letterboxd. I don't know why I expected anything different. But like, I would say a good chunk of the reviews for this movie are like, oh my God, like, remember when they went here in La La Land? Or like, oh, "Oh, like, (laughs) La La Land is what convinced me to watch this movie. Oh, I mean, (laughs) like, there's a large portion. That was my, that's my fucking like first formative memory of Los Angeles is when I moved out here. First day, like moving in, my parents are still here. They're like, we should go see like the classic LA sites. And I'm like, sure. It's the year La La Land came out. So we go to Griffith Park and like the first four people I see are like recreating like La La Land, like setups for photos and everything. And it is so fucking seared into my brain now. (laughs) Like you cannot escape it. Yeah. So anyways, um, I, the only other thing I'll say about La La Land and then I won't bring it up again, a movie that I actually like, but not, not the platform. Yes, they will. Yes, they do. But, and then, you know, Ryan Gosling is doing his little, ah, they got the bullets, but, or, um, I noticed sort of like at the end planetarium scene in this film, Rebel Without a Cause, the little like tinkling score that they play Mm. which is like a little ominous but also like kind of light and nice and sounds like i feel like what you would want an observatory score to sound like i was like oh this sounds a bit like the la la land observatory score Mm. which i imagine had to have been an inspiration but i was i wasn't expecting to hear it and then i heard it and i was like oh interesting damien chazelle definitely loves this movie (laughs) i mean yeah it's very nice we already were talking about the drive jacket and like brian gosling is absolutely of this like is of so many actors who yeah are trying to be james dean oh yes yes like and so it makes perfect sense that there's that connection not like to pose the question but like is there a james dean of today does anyone like i just don't know if there's someone who occupies the same cultural weight that he i mean then again granted it was because he died i think like we talked yeah it's just so difficult because he was so famous like incredibly famous for such a short amount of time and I also think that it's like there are people that I feel like want to say that they're James Dean but absolutely like don't it's not correct I even think of the people that are like well I'm weird I do method but it's like the greats did method like Jared Leto or whatever like Mm -hmm. pick anybody where it's like that's not it's just it's not giving what you think it's giving so I don't think there will ever be replacement yeah I mean I don't want one right like I mean sort of what you were saying of like the I hope that all of our future bisexual talents live long (laughs) lives where they make lots of great work (laughs) please I also think the bisexuality is like a essential or like the the queerness is like essential because like we said it is like absolutely part of what makes james dean an icon like just sort of like visually he's very pretty like he goes i'm so cute or whatever like when he says i'm like yes he is cute he's a cutie but i mean and that gets so erased by people like james franco or even ryan gosling like who are who are latching on to the performance of masculinity but not identifying it as a performance yes okay Yes. yes you, agreed. N- you need to be aware of what you're doing and yeah. also just say you're cute it's okay you are yeah. cute um but yeah like he he is so pretty and like obviously you you don't look this good and you don't perform this well without having a sense of like the fact that you look like that mm. and that you move and that you act like that and it's all coming together to form like the james dean iconography um yeah he looks 
he looks great. He acts great. It's a good bi- <laughs> I think mean, he's the a thing good is, actor. Like a very bisexual panic movie as a bisexual person. <laughs> like watching it, you're like, well, I feel drawn to everybody on the screen. So this is great for me. And then you're like, oh, the characters also feel drawn to everybody on the screen. Great. This is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, should we talk about what happens in the story? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's basically about these three kids who we've been talking about. They sort of end up in like a little friend group for about three hours before everything (laughs) goes to shit. Um, But it's about how being making dumb decisions as a teenager can really spiral out of control and like ruin your life, especially if your parents just yell out the door after you and don't bother to actually physically chase you down the street like they maybe should have. And also you shouldn't risk your life just because someone calls you a faggot, especially (laughs) if you are one. Yes. Like uh, chicken and proud, you know, shout it. Literally, because I feel like this Back to the Future, like was chicken just like, did it have such a different weight? Like what (laughs) was like when, if I was called the chicken in school, I'd be like, okay, but like I wouldn't like, try to race to drive myself off a cliff like i'm not a fucking moron like it feels like being a chicken had drew, a different connotation yeah then. drew i actually think your read is like pretty correct yeah. though and that it's be, like right? yeah i think that like you know in later years there are obviously more intense words that sort of took over that but at this time like chicken is like mm. comparable to being like are you fucking gay like yeah. Yeah. so i think i think you're very correct yeah. um and it's because it attacks that same sort of aspect of masculinity. Like, right. are you afraid? Like, can you be a man? Right. Like, or are you too a chicken? chicken. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. It's not like, are you a rooster? You know, they're not differentiating. <laughs> <laughs> Genderless right. chickenhood. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, like the whole sort of like, I mean, literally playing chicken with like the car. Right. is such a great example of like you are literally risking your life to prove that you are a man for no fucking reason at all in front of all these people um and it's so ridiculous and you can see how ridiculous it is and it's like that his buzz buzz's um little jacket sleeve gets caught in the door is like such a great example of it's like you didn't think this through you planned right. it but like you're so caught up in wanting to make this masculinity thing a huge part of who you are i would be a little freaked though if someone literally like tied a dead chicken to my front door though that was a little that's intense. pretty intense yeah. and then you have a bunch of guys in the trees like yelling at right you yelling at out. the dad yeah but it feels very loaded in that particular like queer mm-hmm. focused yeah. way i mean yeah. drew what you said about the dad i think is like very fascinating in the sense of like how are we like analyzing him and like his gender performance and like the way he fits within like the stereotypical like family and everything like that and i think that's what this movie is playing with i like genuinely don't know where i land i guess on the the last sequence and like with the dad in general whether like positive or negative or like what the end result it's trying to say is but it's definitely like trying to like comment upon like a man who's like more of a stay at home daddy dad. issues baby yeah. oh my god this movie's all about daddy issues you can all me? about daddy <laughs> issues but i also think that like this movie was made by queer people but it was also made by queer people who because of the time period and the culture they were living in weren't i'm assuming totally comfortable with their queerness Definitely. yeah and so i also i think of this like I don't know. I, I, I like, I really don't want to be 
a stereotypical Jewish person who like goes to the Holocaust, but like, it's, <laughs> I'm just thinking about like the history of queerness and yes. there being these periods of history where there were specifically queer cis men who sort of thought of themselves as like, yes, I fuck my male friends because we are men and masculinity is great. And that is different from like those like, you know, girly people over there and like creating that very clear distinction. So it wouldn't surprise me if like I read it as Jim's like self-hatred, but it could just as easily be Nicholas Ray's self-hatred. Right. Mm, And so there's this, I think there's this tension there where like, you know, James Dean is a queer figure that Nicholas Ray looks to as like an ideal and something that is, that can be celebrated in the sense that there's all this queerness going on, but then, you know, he still has his relationship with the pretty girl and like, there's still the, and he's, and he's masculine and he, you know, et cetera, but masculine, you know, I guess, but like, you know, at least has this image of masculinity. And then there's the dad who's very timid and who's very, and not even in like the sort of angsty Plato way in a way that is, he's just a pushover and he's feminized. And, and I think that, Nicholas Ray doesn't view that as something to be idealized. And so yeah. it becomes it becomes like a negative. Even if watching Definitely. the movie now, I don't it, it doesn't like feel negative to me as much as it feels like either an expression of artistic self-hatred or the character self-hatred. Yes. And I think that like, you know, in the 50s, putting a man in like this extremely like flowery, clearly like feminized apron is like probably more radical than like we in a modern way would be looking at it being like okay he's being (laughs) safe in the kitchen come on (laughs) (laughs) like i want that we're gonna we have to respect it on the what you were saying drew i think this is fascinating to like i don't think you know a lot of like movies are reflections of the directors and like what they're interested in and like their thoughts and everything especially when you're an auteur and like with ray as that i think as you were saying this is really a reflection of his own inner hatred i think is like an interesting way to look at it and like what he views as masculinity because a lot of throughout his life it feels like especially early on you like look at his relationships and everything so much was performative and like this hyper masculine performing of like sleeping with so many different people and like being like drug and alcohol addicted well that's like not a performance of masculinity it's like the torture sort of mm-hmm. weighing on him yeah. as like a queer person and wanting to like to compensate by that by being like hyper masculine but then you have his movies which are so much about like decontextualizing masculinity within the time and so you can sort of see like through james dean as you were saying like he is like what probably he wants to be or like wishes he could have been mm-hmm. and like the way like in which like society constrains him and is like able to like sort of suffocate the queerness kind of out of him i think is like a good read for sure i mean it's very complicated relationships with your sexuality particularly like during a time where you literally like cannot be out to varying degrees of like publicity it's very complicated you can feel good about some parts you can feel bad about some parts and those parts Mm -hmm. can like flip-flop very regularly i mean like we still feel that like Like, if you do you want to come out and like risk your like while like people say like you won't risk your, your career coming out like you kind of do like in a sense like if you come out as a queer person no matter what people are going to view you differently than if you were just like playing down the middle yeah Mm -hmm. and then how much do you want to harp on that once you come out do you want to have to constantly remind people of the fact that like 
of who you are, of that part of your identity? Do you want to just let it go? How, like, how do you balance that? There's, there's, it's definitely like, not to quote James Dean slash Tommy Wiseau, but it does tear you apart just a little bit. Yes. Yes. Should we also just offhand mention Plato, obviously like a gay as fuck, like back in time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like Plato was like laying the groundwork, you know? (laughs) I think that, um, I don't remember if it was Nicholas Ray, but I was reading some interview where they were like, yeah, that was like definitely part of it of like, that was the stuff that we were able to sneak by. It's like the, uh, the Alan Ladd like pinup photo in Plato's locker. They were like, we snuck that in. Like they didn't catch it. (laughs) Uh, yeah. Amazing. (laughs) Kind of impressive that, the Hayes Code wasn't like, um, excuse me, but that shows you how much they know. I think the point you made about him dying and so they probably let like more of that get through is a really yeah. good point. I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that like you can, I mean, that's, that's the fucking payoff, isn't it? You can be more queer on screen as long as you like die at the end, mm-hmm. or you can be less queer on screen and live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Until your gaze, yeah. James Dean. Right. Yeah. I mean, not to be like, this is a barrier gaze movie, but I think like it in a sense, it yeah. sort of like fulfills that trope and that like the most outwardly queer character is the one that sort of loses his mind and dies. And the more traditionally masculine, even though quote unquote masculine mm-hmm. character, like gets the girl mm-hmm. and gets to live and is tortured right. by the fact that, oh, like his poor queer friend died. Right. Um, I have to say, though, I think like my favorite moment in the whole movie because like those two actors work so well together is when they're outside Jim's house and Plato is like, why don't you come over? Like, Mm -hmm. that's what I was just going to say. Why don't you just come over and we can talk about the fact that you like Loki just killed a man. Um, We can have breakfast and we can have breakfast. Cute. Just like I used to with my parents. Like, just come over. It's so sweet. (laughs) Literally, that's all he wants. (sighs) Bottom seeking talk. (laughs) Like it's yeah, I mean, I it's it's a very sweet scene. I think Salmonio like absolutely crushes that scene. Obviously, he he gets to do a lot of like big dramatic capital A acting later. But like that scene to me was like so vulnerable and like so sweet. I also love the scene when he and Natalie Wood are talking at the 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 car Mm. party, and Mm. he's like, oh, like he you know. His real name is James, but he prefers Jim. But if you're really close to him, you can call him Jamie. And she just I love it. He sells it so well that she accepts it. She's like, okay, great. So you guys have been friends forever. Right. Mm -hmm. And then she calls him Jamie and he's like, huh? What? (laughs) Oh, but I know it's so cute. It's just you're like, I really feel for this guy. Yeah. Um it's so tender. Kind of insane that they really just slip in though at the beginning that Plato is in custody in the police station because he killed puppies. Yeah, it's a real (laughs) kind of a real bummer on like this kind of like beautifully tortured soul. It's like an opposite of a save the cat moment where you're like, okay, so this character killed puppies. Now let's move on from there. And you're like, Uh, (laughs) are we gonna return to the puppy killing? Literally never mentioned again. So never mentioned again. Um, wow. I think the yeah. biggest like issue for me was like a lot of milk drinking. That's like always uncomfortable. Oh my god, so much milk. <laughs> so much milk. It's really uncomfortable. I'm like, y'all, why are we drinking so much milk? The fifties yeah. were all about that milk. I have Disgusting. to say though, that one like nice close up of James Dean when he's slugging that milk bottle is kind of a nice shot. Cause it's like I mean it's a beautiful movie, yeah. It's, it's, it looks nice. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how hot do you have to be to make <laughs> drinking milk, milk sexy? Look attractive. Literally. Oh. He's like, and it's whole, not yeah. 1%. <laughs> yep, yep. Oh, God. God, disgusting. I love that extremely, like, suburban cliche opening scene, too, at the dinner, at the breakfast table, when Jim's parents are like, oh, here, we have this whole spread for you. And he's like, oh, I'm not hungry. Right. I just have to go to school. I was like, this is... It feels, feels like watching every movie ever. Yeah. Um, the euphoria about a nice pull you family. had, Drew, is really like ringing in my head, <laughs> and it's hard to like not think about like you, like Sam Levinson watching this and being like, "Ooh, ooh how can I make what? Euphoria like this?" I mean, I feel like Euphoria is very top of our minds right now yeah, because while yeah. we're recording this, it is airing on a weekly basis. Course, yeah. um, I feel like Drew, you've done some writing about this season, I, right? Yeah, I've, I'm doing weekly recaps right yeah, now. I yeah. wrote like a piece about the first season, and then like with the specials and with this season i've been doing weekly weekly recaps of all <laughs> that nonsense um yes. I, I mean it, it's it's just so interesting when because something i've been i've been working on like i'm packing for myself so it's something like euphoria that that oftentimes feels over the top and f- strikes me as false trying to get away from this idea of like oh this is false because it can't happen versus like this is false because of trying to like articulate the artistic choices that aren't working for me because you look at something like this and it's it's absurd and it's over the top and there's knife fights and sudden deaths and yeah like thruples that form in the matter of hours and it all really works for me and yeah some of that's the time period and that it was like the first to do a lot of these things but I also think that some of it is about the visual language and about the nature of the performances and there's like all these different factors that are a lot more complicated and subjective to discuss but I think ultimately lead to like more of an explanation of why art works for us or doesn't work for us um rather than like trying to write stuff off because it's like not realistic or whatever yeah totally I mean even like within that like I feel like with we've talked about it a little bit like but like with some modern art where you have like queer representation on screen while it's like obviously i'm not like discouraging that and i think that's an amazing thing to have it's fascinating to watch that in contrast with like something older like with subtext or whatever where i feel like sometimes i feel either a more represented or b like i'm able to connect more to a character when it's maybe not an out and out queer relationship but as a character who is existing queer and like you're able to read into it versus like where you have something where it's like slamming text in your face and is like trying to like tell you that it is like queer and is what you want like with this movie if we're just like looking at like this in euphoria and i am not trying to like compare the two but like i feel like while euphoria has a lot of like queer representation obviously as a bisexual man i feel like i am more comfortable and like seen in this film than in euphoria and like and feel more like happy about like the representation in this movie than euphoria and like that contrast i think is like an interesting thing in my brain especially nowadays is like we're trying to like make more queer art and like all these things and like how do you want your representation what representation like rings true to you it's like a very like sticky conversation but well i think that like in there's just the reality is that it's like a complicated con- conversation and like right. how you feel like about what represents you is right. different than like what constitutes quote unquote good representation, representation. Yeah. and mm-hmm. i think a lot of people like just don't tend to to see it right that way and it's like if we tell you that this is good representation like this means that you should like it and it's like right. well 
art is still like very subjective if right. I like this other film or piece yeah. of work I mean better. I, I also think we are still in a what frustrates me so much about Euphoria is that I think we're still in a time where a lot of the queer work even made by queer people is forced to be respectable in a way that yeah. when there was subtext involved you could just be like yeah, he killed puppies. And like, not that that detail is like is super important for my experience of this film, but like there are just things that you can get away with at this point in time that I think are harder to get away with now. And what frustrates me about Euphoria is that it does, it is like bad representation in a way that I want more of, but because it's entirely made by this person who identifies as a cis straight white guy, like- yeah. He, he, it doesn't it's not it doesn't have it's like it's edgy without it's it's rebellious without a cause like yes, it's like, it, yes. and yes. so it feels it feels sort of hollow and in a way that like the the bad representation I want doesn't right yes right. we love bad representation we're no but really because it's like <laughs> yeah. we talk about this so often where it's like I just mm -hmm. want to see like complicated interesting people do right. like difficult things and like mm -hmm. also oh surprise like, like they're not being bad yeah. and not <laughs> having great. to like be like morally like the most morally just people like yeah. with, uh, like it's so much of like now is like you either have to be the pinnacle of like queerness and you have to be a perfect person or if you're queer you're like flawed and are evil and like there's no morally gray area in which any characters who are like existing in a like a minority setting are able to be just because something's like front loading and being like look we cast all this or like look at this it's diverse or it like mm -hmm. features this doesn't mean that it's actually like doing anything with it it's just mm -hmm. sort of like a front for like obviously like capitalist corporations just to be like, look, we're good without actually like interrogating or actually like giving these stories to queer diverse I mean, creatives. You, you feel that James Dean and Sal Minio want to fuck each other. And that's yeah. totally. a really important yeah. part of representation is like yes. actually yes. feeling that energy between them and like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Which is why like a lot of the times, like films that we talk about, like on this pod, like are straight on the surface because it's like the energy is sometimes what really ends up breaking through more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's like you understand sort of the modern like wish to be like no 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 we we did this it's good like we're showing you that we care because it's like you literally have examples like the Hayes code being like this movie is too gay fix it or like uh well they have to die if you want right. to have this like I don't know what to tell you or like we literally won't release your movie so the push and pull is always there right. but I really love like the characters in this movie and I don't see them as good examples at all or people that we should aspire to be yeah. at all but I love how they interact with each other that scene of the three of them in like the abandoned mansion when they're yeah. all sort of like sitting by the pool mm. um and just like talking and Plato's like oh I don't even know what's left in my life except to die um I mean hey who talk can about relate? a prophet because <laughs> he gets his wish but um I think that scene is like such a like great representation of like seriously what it feels like to be a teen, what it feels mm -hmm. like to not be understood. Like you said, right. who can relate? Like I know yeah. you're, you're joking, but like no, seriously, yeah. no, seriously, yeah. yeah. It just especially gets, a queer teen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it gets right to that part of like this is what it feels like to be this age in this sort of like ostracized space of being queer, feeling like either your parents are completely absent or they don't, they just don't, they just don't get you, but they don't get you in the way that like nobody gets you. And I think that like 
a huge part of why Plato is so upset that like, you know, Jim and Judy leave to have their little makeout sesh is because like, that's all he has. That is literally all he has. Like he very quickly formed these, like this parasocial relationship with these two people who he barely knows because like he needs it so badly. And he sees something particularly in James Dean that he like is wants. Mm. Um, I feel like the queer yeah. teen experience is no one understands you except one hot person in your class. Like yep. that is yep. absolutely <laughs> the experience. And yes. like, if you can just get them in the right way, mm-hmm. they will prove that they understand you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and everything will be great. And you need that. Sometimes you just need that. And like, yeah. you know, so much of a teen, I think, is like these sort of fantasies that you put upon yourself and they're not all bad. And sometimes they're like completely necessary for you to have. I did read some trivia. I don't know if it's true or not. It was only on IMDb. So we a love some source. dubious yeah. trivia. <laughs> Cite um, it, MLA. That there was a kiss originally planned between the Jim and Plato characters, but it was never filmed. I don't know. I would, believe it. I, I, believe I, it. I believe it. I would be happy about it. Would but love to see it. Thought I would put that out there. So maybe there was like supposed to always be like actually explicit bisexual mm. James Dean rep on screen as opposed to just like we're using the perception that people have about him to draw mm-hmm. more people into this movie or to like further deepen the themes the of this movie. Themes, yeah. 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 That would be that. Hey, that rules mm. though. Mm. I love it. Would love to see it. <laughs> it does. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. This movie's good. It's I, good. <sighs> Even though it ends in this very melodramatic, tragic way, it didn't, like, hurt me the way that I thought that it maybe could have. Mm. I was like, yeah, I mean, yeah. Once again, I can so clearly understand, like, the crystallization of seeing this movie mm. when it came out and being like, this is me. This is everything that I've ever wanted. And then just the 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 teenager is now such a huge part of... I mean, pop culture and like what dictates pop culture and everything. I mean, take our euphoria discussion as like just literally just the tip of the iceberg. Like teenagers are an extremely powerful force in media. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yeah. And it all started like around this time, which is so crazy to look at because this movie still feels extremely relevant and like so similar to what everyone feels around this like weird nebulous teenager age. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it is hard to necessarily sometimes portray teenagers in a way that feels like believable, yeah, et cetera. And like so I said. feel like this movie is, it's all about like selling an emotion versus yeah. selling like a, a realistic sometimes storyline. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to fucking go with vibes, baby. Like just you can't. go with the vibes. Like with this, maybe you'll fall in love and want to marry someone within three hours of them murdering your ex-boyfriend. Who knows? What can you say? I mean, I feel like at best it's manslaughter, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess we'll I, never I, know. I think he did nothing wrong. <laughs> I agree. He fault. didn't do anything. Jim innocent. <laughs> he jumped innocent. out of the car. He was going to go to the police. He was yeah. trying, he was trying yeah, to do true. the right thing. If anything, buzzes pals are the ones more responsible yeah because they're trying to cover it up yeah yeah (laughs) fucks yeah like heteronormative masculinity killed him yes Yes. that is the enemy if you take one thing away from this movie it's that being a het man will 
maybe send you Kill over you a cliff. I don't know. I, listen, it's not me saying it. It's the movie saying it. Mm. I take no yeah. responsibility. Buzz easily, when he's asking Jim what his name is, they easily just could have made out. And it then, is so, yes. 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 Could have, we could have avoided so much drama. It could have been, a, it could have been a, instead of a throuple, there could have been four of them. Yeah. It could have been a Bob and Carol and Tad and Alice. <laughs> yeah. Right there. Equal Jim and Plato and Buzz, Buzz and, and Judy. Judy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ooh. No, I think we make two dollars at the box office with that name. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. I I do love a good like het mask like villain though because it's like there's always a little something something. Oh, yeah. It's so mm-hmm. hard to like remove the gay subject. Yeah. Impossible, impossible. <laughs> and it makes me happy every time I see it. I'm like, oh, here we go. What are you going to threaten me with now? Let's get a little spicy. Yeah. I appreciate it. A mess. Um, cool. Are there any other scenes that stood out to yeah, you? Yeah, or... was there anything else, Drew, that you think we absolutely have to talk okay, about? Okay, the one thing that I that I experienced this time that just speaks to what my world looks like is that after the knife fight, James Dean takes off his shirt and I and my brain looking at him was like, oh, top surgery scars. <laughs> and I was like, nope, that was from the knife fight. That's not that. And I, but it is, but it also does speak to this idea that like, I think, I mean, I'm generalizing here, but I do think among trans people, like the, the and, and even like beyond that, well, here's what I'll say. So like um, among among trans people, not all of us, obviously, but I do think sometimes there is an attachment to these um, ideas of masculinity and femininity that yeah. are like romantic and a little simplistic. And um, whether it's through a performance of it, like in drag of all genders or like, or just on a day-to-day basis there's plenty of people who are still trying to be james dean yeah um and so i think i think it is funny that i was like oh well this this person who looks like that is is obviously like <laughs> just like my friend who's transmasculine yes. like, nope james dean does not have top surgery skin. <laughs> that is amazing i love that also it goes into like as we've said multiple times it goes into everyone has a different read of like art constantly and like you can put on whatever you want for something so like if we want to read that as that fuck (laughs) it why not why the fuck not (laughs) yeah yeah i very much sort of like get that like i don't like that wanting to to sort of like play into the the masculine and feminine gender ideals because i think like sort of in the the general queer community i think it's very specific for like different groups but like it sort of gives you a little more free reign to like play around with the ideals of masculinity and femininity but like by extension of that you can play into them like as much as you want i feel like you're like i'm doing it but i'm doing it in like a cool way Mm. yeah it's sort of like i don't know examining your gender if like you're cis and you're examining your gender identity and you're like no i think i'm still cis it's like you're cis plus because you Mm -hmm. like thought about it if you you Uh, like it's a new subscription service (laughs) (laughs) like if you are you know if you see yourself as traditionally feminine and you like really think about it and you're like no i really am like i do want to present in a traditionally feminine way it's Mm. like okay cool but now i like leveled up because i like i like discussed it with myself (laughs) and we came to the conclusion that like this is a cool thing for me to do i don't know if that makes any sense no it does (laughs) yes yes so it's cool i think that like if you want to look like james dean you should absolutely look like james dean and then i still have like even though i'm 
not a boy like I still have a desire to look like James D like there's yeah. still I still even like will still be like yeah but sometimes that is what I'm going for in like a dikey way like yeah I mean, right. yeah absolutely yes. yes and it's like he does I think again it's like playing into like James Dean in particular is just so like singular and that he mm-hmm. he does have this like androgynous sense yes. in how masculine he is like mm-hmm. yeah you know it's like we always say it was so straight that it like looped around and became right. gay became like gay. It, yeah. it's so like yeah. it traditionally masculine and like performatively and sort of like idyllically masculine that it like becomes androgynous in a certain like, way hello. Yeah. yeah and you're like if i'm doing this i'm doing this like with a style in mind right like and you intent said and everything yeah 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 i, yeah. I love that i yeah. love it 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 truly really, i feel like it is like i don't know it makes me excited it's really like we all like should want to be a little we should Dean all also. aspire like, all to look a little like, James like come Dean. on yeah who I, doesn't want to look like that i do i really do kind of want that jacket i got it's such a, i thought it's the so same good. thing i was yeah. like would it suck if i got that jacket mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i've been threatening to cut the all my jacket. hair off for like years <laughs> and i've never done it and i probably never will do it but if one day i, I do it. I will be rocking that James Dean look like you would fully. you would kill it. Thank you. You could kill so it with much. your hair as is. Yeah, I just need to maybe I'll get a little trim and then we'll make it happen. Yeah. I don't know. Slowly, slowly we're we're experimenting. One month from now. We're, hey, just, we're discussing internally. Fully <laughs> in my boy years would bring like when I went into salon, brought a picture of James Dean. Oh. Which is a which thinking back to like <laughs> an 18 year old in 20 whatever it was i'm like that's so embarrassing why'd you do that like but that was that that's was so the level good. of god also too i feel like james Dean's such a recognizable picture so it's also like there's like two layers where it's like here's this really old movie star but also do you know of james dean yeah. can Instead you give me like, the i want james my hair dean? like james dean can you yeah. give right. me the yeah. james dean yes that's so good that's so good embarrassing the things uh, we do at 18 yeah oh, oh god messy. i don't even want to talk about it i don't even want to talk about it oh my god oh, jesus so how did this movie do upon release? Well, yeah, I mean, huh. look, to no surprise, this it made money? movie uh, cleaned the hell up. It grossed $7 million in domestic and overseas screenings. Warner Brothers' second biggest box office draw of the year came out in 1955. It'd be so, so cool if not a drama too bad. about like, this sort of shit was number one and two again. Like, yeah, I know. Mean, okay, but like going back to Euphoria, like, Euphoria is the number one trending topic on Twitter. That's and like, true. we have different Always. metrics yes. now and TV yes. is different now. And so like, yes, but like movie movies, I you know, know. I, I feel Jordan, that too. Jordan is such a, such uh, a sort the of euphoria like conversation is so frustrating too, though, because it feels like we're having the same conversation every week. I'm like, Oh my God, That's we fair. said this last week. Yes. I also wish that like there were that like, movie culture i don't know i try i go i fluctuate but between being like yeah there's lots of good television that's doing what like right. mid-budget movies were doing and then sometimes though like movies are my first love and so there's something where i'm yeah. like yeah but i want to go into a theater and have a two-hour story that's like this and yes yes that exactly. was just I made for under- like 20 million yes, exactly yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. A tv is doing so much but i'm also then like but like also like don't you want to go sit in a movie theater and have some nice popcorn and watch a movie like come yes. on and also i will say the current drawback of week-to-week tv with how like online everyone is is that like 
people are analyzing like chunks of the story like it's the whole story instead of yes. like letting the arc play out oh boy yeah, yeah absolutely i i won't i won't i promise not to get into it too much but it's like, like every show though it's very crazy to see people like week by week be like why would this person do this or like this like doesn't relate and it's like guys there's mm-hmm. there's four mm-hmm. episodes left like we're only halfway like we're developing mean, like, a person two, here two people will yeah. be like how would this person do that you're like <laughs> We just started the show. <laughs> Watch the first 15 minutes of A World Without a Cause and I do not like this person who killed puppies. I yeah. am not on board. I don't care what happens to him. Cut it, his character. It's so out of the theater. fucked up that Nicholas Ray is trying to make us sympathize with this guy who <laughs> killed puppies. I mean, it's like we don't even know anything else about him yet. I mean, it's is that the crazy. greatest cinematic flex of all time to be able to make a character who kills puppies a sympathetic hero? I like, mean, all you have to do is just not listen very closely and you would have yeah, no like, idea <laughs> that he killed puppies. <laughs> it's so uh, it's you so blinking you must like what the like what seven million is in today's money uh let's Ooh. see i'm gonna calculate it um 1955 to 2022 probably good i hope i'm gonna well i guess it was their second out. biggest movie of the right year, and that's obviously speaks to... yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna figure it out though. Okay, seven. Million. I need to now just like to vamp while we're here. I need to rewatch East of Eden because I haven't seen that since senior or junior year of high school when we like read the book and then watched the movie. Like I really mm. want to revisit that now and just like see Dean again. Ooh. Yeah, I read. Oh. Ooh, what, what did you read? <laughs> oh no, I was gonna say that I I read East of Eden after seeing the movie and. Mm was obsessed with it and i actually have a, have a tattoo from east of eden on that my rules wrist, <gasps> um, because of like my love for both like the movie and the book so what's that just what's it the says tag? tim it says tim shell oh it's cool so oh, that's cool that's we how deep which i which when i was first coming out i felt like a little bit insecure about because i was like i have like a john steinbeck quote on my body and i'm like but then then like the first like gay party i was invited to i met this other dyke who had a tim schultz tattoo and i felt so validated and i was like (laughs) well i have it too oh my god we all just love james dean and you know that is a sign from the universe Yeah. yeah yeah Also, no. there's, I feel like there is, I feel like I could write a journey. You're not going to be surprised. I feel like I could literally write like 200 pages about like queering the American West. Like it's so, there's so, so much gay. there. There's so me? much yeah. there, but Jordan's going to be like, yeah, yeah. of course, of course it's you could, gay. but like, ugh. okay. How anyway, so, inflation. I learned that $7 million and 55 is worth a respectable $72 million today. So pretty but good. Also, like, yeah, like I don't, I'm, I don't know, like what that. I yeah, I do think it. Like I'd have to see what like movies were making in 1955, because also like movie tickets and uh, it's why like right. people like this is the number one grossing movie of all time. You're like, okay, but that's not really bad. But like with because, inflation, like, yes, things yeah. are so different. Yeah, um, it was a number two. It was, it was Warner Brothers' yeah. number two movie of the year. Big hit, big four quadrant classic. The teens mm-hmm. loved it. It got some mixed reviews, but generally positive, and it was nominated for three oscars best motion picture story in the years before best original screenplay was a thing slash best adapted and then sal minio and natalie wood no nom for james dean fucked wild but he he was posthumously nominated for a couple awards for this movie the oscar was not one of them though was was that the same oscars as giant or the same oscars as used to be in same same year as East of Eden. Got so it. he could have been double nommed, but he wasn't. I mean, 
looking at this Oscars, I do love Marty. Having just watched Marty like three weeks ago, Marty fucking rules. It's such it's, a good movie. It's, yes. It is, it is a good movie. Ernest Borgnine is who beat it. Um, one of the James greatest D. faces of cinema. <laughs> he does have My a man face. looks like a slunk of like ham. I yeah. love it. Marty sort of cleaned up at these Oscars. We yeah. have Jack Lemon mm-hmm. rolling up with a Best Supporting Actor win. Very nice. Joe Van Fleet won Best Supporting Actress for East of Eden. Um, so there you go. And yeah, damn, Marty like truly good, cleaning up. Hey, good movie. 90 minutes in and out. Good for Harold Tag. And good. it won the Palm Door. So, you know. <laughs> good for United. Marty. I guess it wasn't called that at the time, but <laughs> the Can Central Award yeah. or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> sure. Anyway, um, yeah, this movie is obviously like still a classic. A classic, yeah. It's today. one of the ones where it's like I feel like I love when we get to cover these or talk about these, where it's like sort of those like pinnacle American movies where it's like, what are like the thousand and one movies you should see? This is like always on the list. It's like the AFI. Everyone mm-hmm. is always like Rebel Without a Cause. Then you watch it and you're like, okay, cool. Yes, it this is, is good. actually wow. one of the best movies of all time. Yeah. Great. My hot love- take is that the canon should expand to include more things, but most of what's in like the top of the canon is actually pretty good. Yeah. Yes. It is. <laughs> yes. And like, it's like Casablanca, good movie. <laughs> good movie. Citizen Kane, good movie. really good movie. Good movie. Yeah. You just have to, I feel like it's so difficult to divorce yourself from the idea that like, oh God, I have to watch this, like this thing that everyone's right. obsessed with. But like once you do, if you just like sit down, you pretend like you've never heard of the movie Casablanca before. Right. Just watch it. Good film. I like rewatched it at the beginning of the pandemic and I had seen it in college again. And like, I've seen the movie so many times, but like watching, you're just like, this thing plays like fucking gangbusters. It's, it's so good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's lovely. Oh, God. Love it. Anyways, Letterbox. Do Let's you want to see Ooh. what the current people think about this movie? Ooh, okay. I'm going to go with... I feel like... Every, I'm going to go, go with again gut. with my 3.9. I feel like it's got to be a 3.9. Okay. okay. I'm, Drew? Yeah, I'm not as optimistic because I think the movie's weird enough that people would... Mm. I don't know. I'm going to go with a 3.6. Ooh, Jordan, a little bit of uh, an up here. It's a three eight. Oh, oh that makes me happy. I'm That's right good. in the middle. I'm happy to hear that. That's yeah. good. So close. So close. God. I'm surprised it's not a three nine. Most people giving this four stars yeah. off the bat, but decent amount of people have seen it. Not as many reviews as I was expecting. I think mm. a lot of people see it and are like, sure, and then move on. Um, but like I said, a lot of La La Land spam in the reviews, uh, a lot of James Dean thirst in the reviews. As Surprisingly, not a lot of queer mentions in the reviews. Mm. Definitely not as many as I was expecting. Sometimes more. you hop into the letterbox reviews and it's, it's like gay, 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 it's gay, yeah. it's gay, which makes me happy. Of course. It means we're not alone. Yes. Um, so that's that. <laughs> it's sort of out. Val- that's like Drew, when you're seeing someone else with a tattoo, that's validating for us. And we're like, okay, we're going to do an app. Here we go. And you go into the letterbox and it's all gay comments. You're like, oh, good. Slam dunk. We're good. <laughs> yep. 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 Um, so there you go. Speaking. That's how perfect. I felt about Too Fast, Too Furious that I just rewatched for the first time since I was a kid. I was like, this is the gayest movie. Literally. Yes. One it is movies ever yes 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 um speaking of being validated <laughs> mm. and queerness sure where's this landing on the qq where's the land for you okay yeah i knew i, I was, was like gonna go first anyway. i never lead off i'm like whoa <laughs> <laughs> um okay i mean like we said this is a movie made by queer people starring queer people ostensibly like for queer people <laughs> in a very real way um and I don't think it's perfect, but I did have a very great time. I don't know, because it's so vibes-based, but also, like, so enduring and clearly, like, put a lot of thought into the queerness that was on screen. I'm going to go with a very solid four stars. But I could be... Mm. 
I'm this one is one I feel a little shaky about. How do you feel, Jordan? I'm going higher. Yeah, I was. I, I don't that, know. <laughs> like, I mean, Plato. Like, come on. And like, also James Dean is an icon. Nicholas Ray. I think it's like impossible to avoid sort of the subtext on it. I'm like between a four and a half and a five is okay. where I'm landing. So I'm gonna go with a healthy four and a half. All right, Drew. How are you? I was feeling? trying to decide between a four and a four and a half. So I we're all in like the same okay. general space. I feel like. It depends on what we're comparing it to. Like if we're comparing it to movies, then I would say four. If we're com- or no, I'd say four and a half. If we're comparing it to queer movies, then I would say a four. You know, like so it's it's somewhere in there for me though, because it it does feel extremely queer to me. Yeah. Do I yeah. think that it was made at a time slash made by people who were able to or wanted to like be fully open about that queerness and take it to its like natural progression? Like. I- I don't, I don't know. Um, but it's, it's like objectively textually queer to me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, because we, you know, exclusively discuss blockbusters, we usually try to think about like, what would this look like to like a normal right. audience viewers mm. eyeballs? How, mm-hmm. how do we feel like it's coming across? I just so, think it's, yeah. I totally agree with, with both of you. We love to see it. Good times We're all, all around. We're all holding hands going into the distance <laughs> as going our car into the abandoned yeets mansion. into the water. Uh, I love that abandoned mansion. I would. Oh, my God. Would love uh, to see it. Happily explore that. Yeah. Drew, thank you so much for being here. A thank you for having me. Oh, my God. It's truly a delight. Um, You are the best. I love your writing so you. much. Um, Shout out to the Euphoria recaps, which actually have been getting me through the show. I can't lie. I have to write my one for tonight's episode tonight. right after we get off okay oh, well i've already watched it and it's, it's a doozy <laughs> oh. oh no well, and i mean you know outside of that you write so much incredible stuff so if people yeah. want to check you out which they obviously should where can they find you uh they can find me on twitter and instagram at draw underscore gregory so my first name in the present tense underscore gregory Love. um and also letterbox like as long as we're talking about it also yes. i want like your both of your letterbox like letterbox is my favorite social media platform it's the one yes. that brings me the most joy and the least amount of turmoil yes. I do think i'm gonna start blocking people who are like very frequent like top of the like they have letterbox following but i don't actually like their opinions and i'm gonna just start blocking people who i don't like as much so i don't see them as much not yeah. because they did anything blocking to me feels so intense i'm like you have to you have to like but there's no mute function. So right. anyway, yeah, but so you, you can also to. find me on Letterboxd. I don't know what my name, I mean, you could just search Drew Gregory on Letterboxd and find me. So we'll feel link, free to, yeah. Yeah, feel free to find me on Letterboxd because I also very much enjoy that. It's, it's the best. It's the healthiest social media platform to me. Because <laughs> yeah. you could just say whatever, you like movies and you don't have to worry about getting flamed. It's great. Mm-hmm. And if you do get flamed, you can just delete them. It's true. Yeah. Or you can just, you know, turn your comments off or whatever. True. Very, very nice. Anyway, um, we're also big fans of Letterboxd. And unfortunately on Twitter, which we always say <laughs> which is, is the healthiest social media. Afterthought. I'm on there all the time. So, yep. yep. But I am at Twitter and on Letterboxd at Brooke V. Solomon. And I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd. No, I'm actually not the same. Jordan H. Gus on Twitter (laughs) and Jordan underscore Gustafson. I think on Letterboxd or am I? I don't know. Damn. Find me on Letterboxd. This is why I have consistent branding, unlike some people. 
Jordan. Um, wow. And we now are. Now I'm finding out what my little fucks is. We are together on Twitter at Queer Quadrant, and you can find the podcast on Spotify and on Apple and anywhere else you care to get your podcast. Drop us a rate, drop us a review, drop us a subscribe, tweet at us, or mm. letterbox at us. Tell us what you think about this movie, about the queer themes, and maybe what you think about Euphoria, but like be prepared because like that's a whole can of worms. Um, and let us know what you might like to see us cover in the future. And what are we covering in the future? future oh okay boy. i'm literally oh, no. so embarrassed that i have to <laughs> say this to our very esteemed, esteemed guest um but next week we're covering 2019's masterpiece cats Woo! listen wow yes let's go listen we thought good movie long and hard about this episode that we are not doing this it's not as a bit. a bit it's not a bit we are not doing this lightly we ha- are coming in prepared yes. we have notes we have things to discuss Relative. i mean look we have an inside <laughs> in we have yes. we have someone on the inside that someone is Jordan. Me. Um, so, so we're like, Andrew Lloyd Webber is going to be here in the studio. <laughs> that would rule. It's going to be a doozy of an app, but Tom I just Hooper? rest assured it is an app that we have considered and we will thought long and hard about be actually having discussion points on. So come back Cannot next week wait. for all that fun stuff. Wow. Yep. Look, do you have anything you would like to leave our listeners with other than that good information? Yeah, this is an I Could Fix It movie. And I just think everyone should keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs>